welcome to the Southern Ohio Synod podcast. I am Pastor Bob Abrams, and I serve as assistant to the bishop, which means I work closely with Bishop Dillahunt as she serves as the Synod's pastor. I work extensively with congregations and ministries, rostered ministers, and lay leaders who are who are in transition or need an outside voice to think through challenges they may be facing. I am so glad you have joined us for our episode today. Welcome to this podcast of the Southern Ohio Synod. I'm Pastor Tim Menser, Assistant to the Bishop for Discipleship, Leadership, and Engagement. And today I'm delighted to have with me Shay Rossing. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Shay Robert Rossing. Um, I think most people know me primarily as a Buckeye. I'm a student at Ohio State. Um, that's also where I work full-time at the Medical Center. Um, in addition to studying at Ohio State, I also attend Trinity Lutheran Seminary. And between school and work, most of, most of my time is spent doing that. I'm really passionate about people. About um, I love learning about culture and language. And I, I just think that's really what drives me at the heart of all of it, is I, there's something about connecting to another story that drives passions and that that's at the heart of what I do in the more philosophical theological side, but also um, as I work at bedside and prepare for a career in nursing, like I really just, I think people is kind of what I am. And my personality is a conglomeration of just the people I'm with the most. And I'm guessing like when you're working with people in nursing that you mm. do take time to listen to their stories and learn about them. And that has to mean so much to them. Mm. I mean, it's it, it it does, but it, it also is at, at periods it makes it harder to do that kind of stuff. A lot of I, I work in uh, neurocritical care units, and a lot of what I'm seeing when I can talk to people um, makes me very passionate about their care. But it also makes it sometimes difficult for me when um, I'm doing that work. But I also think that makes me a better healthcare worker. And it's not obviously just me who is has these feelings. Sure. Um, and it, it also has taught me a lot about, like a lot of times in Christianity, I think there's this idea of trying to stay positive and like peppy and like focusing on what is so great about what we have to tell the world. Um, but I've learned that there are periods where it's okay to sit um, and recognize how hard it is to kind of operate in the world. And it's been those moments where I could figure out what that means for other people as well as for myself. Well, yeah, I think sometimes like we tell people they shouldn't be feeling what they're feeling or going through mm -hmm. what they're going through. And that denies mm -hmm. the humanity of who they are at the moment. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your, your studies at Trinity Seminary. I am in the Master's of Theological Studies program. I specialize in theology and ethics, and what I want to do, like I'm, I'm very interested in the ELCA social teaching, um, and that comes from my undergraduate background in philosophy primarily. And I, I think that the ELCA has this wonderful like tradition of growing people to be great theologians um, mm -hmm. and then permitting us to speak into our own cultural context, whatever that looks like for us. There's this analogy that um, 
Professor Kleinhans has, which is like, if the theology is the software of what the ELCA teaches, um, you can program a lot of accidentals into that software. You're going to see a lot of fascinating things come out of it, but they're all authentic expressions of that same software. And I think that speaks a lot to what I think ethics looks like, what I think theology looks like. And as a person with my own experiences, like I, f I really enjoy the process of plugging into that. I I've described theology as this thing um, that I have almost like a Stockholm syndrome with because every time I attack it, I wrestle with the text and they like discipline me and leave me limping, but it's so redemptive. And um, I just, I think theology is powerful and unique in that way. And I think that's one of the, the gifts that, the Lutheran tradition offers to folks mm -hmm. is to have that starting ground of theology and then mm -hmm. like you say, to see how it plays out in other people's lives and how they interpret it and apply it to what's going on around them. How did you get interested in that? So I, w I was brought up Christian, um, but the expression of Christian I was brought up with is it's kind of strange to place. Um, I don't like using non-denominational because I think that draws for us this idea of like an evangelical Baptist light version of Christianity. Um, but my mom was someone who did not find in a structure um, how she wanted to rear her children. And so I was brought up incredibly spiritual, like going to religious schools, going home, talking with my mom about what I read in the Bible that day, like, very into this Christian tradition. And I think somewhere around high school, I just, my soul needed something to ground itself in. In high school, I was like, what do all of these people believe? Um, and I was like reading all of these different doctrines of the Methodist and the Presbyterian and Anglican traditions and, and, and taking all of this information in. And I never considered the Lutheran church because mm -hmm. I was like, they're Catholic. A lot of Protestants have problems engaging in contexts which feel Catholic to them. And I was in the similar boat. Uh, and so I remember coming after out of high school, I, I, think, I think it almost is a soul or personality thing, but I needed, I wanted to feel a sense of community, but I also wanted, when I, I have questions that I have anxiety about, um, I really wanted a, a tradition where I could say, this is what they have believed. Um, and so with such a fascination on tradition, I think I was drawn towards the, the Catholic style of Christian practice. And so I just was like, let me consider this Lutheran thing. And I was like this philosophy geek and like engaging in how we had the Book of Concord and the confessions, but how we become to understand those things. and. The, the social teachings and the social statements and the social uh, messages. And there's so much stuff that a, a brain like mine could engage with that I fell in love with it. Um, and, and it was brought to me in a way that spoke to my context. Uh, I, the first pastor I remember hearing was Pastor Nadia Boltzweber. Although I don't look like it, that is the context I was very comfortable in. It was mm -hmm. tattooed. It was foul-mouthed. Because um, I think a lot of the times, the more evangelical Christian will put a gay kid in the box of the bad kids. Mm -hmm. And so I was so familiar with those contexts. And to have someone 
come to me and share the gospel as Lutherans understand it to me, break down my walls, and then to enter a tradition that had the things my soul was yearning for. It was like, a, it was a lot. And a lot happened that year. I mean, the year I did it, I've said, I think I'm Lutheran. I found out that one of like seven Lutheran seminaries is down the street. And then the churchwide was meeting in Columbus. It's so, I mean, I'm a man of prayer, but it's like rarely do we get such clear examples of prayer manifesting sure. in the way the Lutheran tradition was for me. And so now I am a Lutheran geek and okay with that. I'm thrilled that you found the the true substance and joy of, of our Lutheran tradition because that's mm -hmm. what just fires me up as well and mm -hmm. just touches me in so many ways. And boy, that the, the spirit works in our lives to lead us to the right mm -hmm. place and the right people at the right time, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for people like Nadia Bowles-Weber who can just open that up to folks, mm -hmm. for sure, mm -hmm. definitely. So it was your interest in Lutheran social statements that led you to notice a um, nationwide summit on climate that the, mm -hmm. the National Church was hosting and, um, and your participation in that. Tell me a little bit about that program and how you got involved. The ELCA, uh, I believe it was, it was the Young Adults group, decided to host a climate summit um, in, at the Lutheran Center in Chicago. So I've always cared about climate justice. I was part of like a create, Care for Creation Club in high school. Um, and I've always, it's been like something that was always like something I knew had to be reckoned with by the church. Um, but I was not this person that was like so emboldened by um, care for creation and climate justice. But I remember my pastor, Pastor Grant, here at the Jacobs Porch, which is campus minister here in Columbus um, for Ohio State, he knew that I had this quirky fascination with the social teaching of the church. And um, because he was familiar with the message that came out this year, but also the um, statement that came out in the 90s, and he knew I'd read them, he said, you'll see young adults, they're, they're having this summit. And they're going to engage with social teaching because they recognize within my generation a serious passion for climate justice. Um, but a lot of people aren't aware of the resources the ELCA has for people with those passions. Um, and so I applied and I was very forthcoming and I said, look, I, I'm not the best advocate as I think I should be for this issue but I'm familiar with the resources that we're going to wrestle with. And I'm very familiar with wrestling with things and walking away drained, but with a blessing. Um, and I think that's what I can offer the summit if you'll have me. And they had me and they, I was forthcoming about that when I was engaging with these people who were very passionate about climate justice. And um, I was meeting with people who knew that about me. Most of the people who are excited like I am about social teaching are, we'll say, different generation than um, the people who are meeting at this climate summit. And, you know, it was, it was healing for me because I was able to offer, I know how this stuff works. I've read this stuff and I know how to find the theology that's underpinning 
every sentence that this statement or message has behind it. Um, and because I'm familiar with that, I was right next to a lot of people who really, really cared about climate justice and cared about the church. And they, they just didn't know how to make that connection in a way that I could be helpful for them. But at the same time, as I was honest about, they were like, well, why don't you care about the climate justice? I said the same thing I said earlier. I, I care a lot about people. My soul is wired for the person. Um, and in that manner, because I don't see a person at the heart of this conflict, it, it's been hard for me to advocate for it in a way that is warranted for the urgency of the crisis. Mm. When I was able to help those people engage with the, the teaching, they were able to do what Volksweber does. They were able to speak into my context. And I remember people there who knew that about me were able to go, who do you think is going to be displaced by a hurricane? Is it going to be a liberal middle-class white family or is it going to be a black woman with two kids and is living without a way to escape something like that and i remember it, it's i mean it would be the spirit to really get me like that but i just was like geez there are so many examples of people in countries without those resources countries already struggling they, like there are people at the heart of this conflict and it's so easy i think now to look back and go wow obviously like but for some reason it was just never it's just not the line you hear a lot in the conversation surrounding climate justice and because no one had put it into my context like that mm. i was justifying my i was justifying my inaction and I remember leaving the summit feeling called out, but in a way that is holy and in a way that is redemptive. And mm -hmm. I think that is also mirrored in the, the theology of the statement. It, it doesn't mollycoll of the church. It says we have failed. There is death. There is sin here. Um, but what the church offers is the good news of grace and mercy. And that is the great hope of the church is that we failed We've screwed screwed up, um, but there's grace for that. And we have to now accept the grace and live in response to it. Well, I love your statement that your soul is wired to the person. That's a, that's a beautiful statement and a beautiful expression of how you feel connected. And, and that you were able at the summit to, to make a connection between the, mm -hmm. the climate issues and the direct impact that it has on people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious because for whatever reason, people aren't real good at talking with each other about issues and opening their minds to what others think. Mm -hmm. What was special about the environment, the climate summit that made you willing to open yourself up mm -hmm. and hear things that maybe made you uncomfortable but, and challenged you? You know, I wish I could take credit for that, but I don't think I can. A lot of it is how I was brought up. My mom was someone who never gave me a break on anything. Like I could say, you know, mom, it's sunny outside. And she would be like, yeah, I need you to prove it. There are a lot of issues that it's not as easy as opening the window. It's you have to go out and talk to people. And it taught me very, very early on about the fallibility of my, um, like the limits of my capacity 
to actually thoroughly understand issues which are abstract and difficult. And I just learned early on the importance of community and the importance of, look, you're going to be prideful. You're going to want everyone to think of you in some certain way, but that is not going to be how you move on. That's not going to be how we find solutions. And there was no pride in my house. I, I, I like me and all my siblings would at times open up dialogue so much that I would look around like, this isn't what, how families usually operate. And, I, and that's very healing. I, I think the church, the church Catholic, i.e. like the, the universal church and how it's expressed in some traditions, tries to tell us that faith is one size fits all. And this is the plan. Do this. Everyone else is doing the same thing. And if we're all doing it, it's going to work out. And that's just not been my experience. And that was not the experience of in my family. And my mom was willing to say, this is working for your brother. It won't work for you. And my brother was willing to sit down and say, here are things I'm struggling with. Don't do this when you're my age. And having that structure early on is like, I think it taught me that pride gets in the way of us having community. And community is very important to me. And I can think about, there were parts in my childhood where my home life was very public. And it was that lack of pride and that willingness to let people in that made me heal um, and uh, open up to things greater than myself in the community and like to the Christ. And so there's just not much pride there. And I think also part of it happens to be like, I like to present Shay to the world in a way that is almost marketable. Um, it's, my like my philosophy teachers knew that there was a certain style and certain opinion I was gonna have before I turned in a paper. In student government, when I'm running for things, they they know what it is that I'm going to do once I'm in government. And and that is not even so much me being sending a fake personality. It's that there's like these things that are very clear that I want people to understand about myself early on. But there's something about theology and about community within the church that tears down even that for me because um, even if there are things I want you to know about me that are true well I've never been a person who's prideful um, and won't open up to let people in um, there it feels like when I actually enter something like the summit it's not even me who's speaking at that point it's me permitting speaking through me and I can witness to that. Um, and that witness looks like my honesty about not understanding how serious the climate um, emergency is. And those things happen, but the essence of what I'm saying um, and what I feel, which is how the spirit works in creation, those are not things I think that come to me. Those are things that I permit myself to be a vessel of. Well, I like the, um, your willingness to hear from others mm. when they speak the truth and love to you, to listen to that and, and to test it and to allow yourself to be challenged by that. And you know, I, I regularly think of that line that, that Jesus used with the, the good religious folk of his day, which is, you have mm -hmm. heard it said that, but I mm -hmm. tell you, and it just mm -hmm. blew open a whole mm -hmm. new way of thinking for people. And it, it sounds like mm -hmm. um, you've had that kind of experience regularly 
in your mm-hmm. life. Christ says it so many times in the Bible. Um, well, in the Gospels, I should say. I think that is um, sometimes what we need. Uh, as Christians, as Lutherans, um, because once we become certain that we've got the theology or that we know what that looks like expressed, I, th- I the social uh, statement on care for creation says we were wrong because we thought we understood those parts of Genesis which talk about humans having dominion over the earth. We thought that that could justify our complacency or our um, malaise against creation. We were wrong, and there is death there, but um, where there was once death, there can be life. And it, it demands of us to be, be stewards of creation in a way that are life-giving. Um, and so I, I, I think that the good news has always been the good news, has always been the gospel um, which is this great Lutheran conception of, in my opinion, but that we are sinful, we die of our sin, and there's life and there's resurrection, there's grace, there's mercy. Christ recognizing the legalistic perception of, no, we know it, it's just like this and done. That's not healthy. And I think sometimes we need to know that. That doesn't take away from teaching. That doesn't take away from theology. We're still doing that work. But once we become proud, once there's pride surrounding what we think about the tradition, how that gospel is manifested, and we refuse to let the spirit actually work through us and be vessels, that is where we get things like the climate emergency. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that the statement and the church is willing to call that out because I think even traditions which are like, maybe there is like a thing going on about the climate. The ELCA didn't do that. They said, there's something happening. It is an emergency. We were part of it. There's hope for this. And it's like, it's human cause. This is the science. Like, it's not trying to mollycoddle the church. I don't think it wants to. Well, yeah, I think you really have captured the essence of Lutheran theology, which is that that um, confronting us with the brokenness. Mm. And mm. I'm more and more convinced that you know, our brokenness is expressed in just this self-righteousness and trying to justify mm-hmm. ourselves to, to keep mm-hmm. things the way that work for us. Mm-hmm. And and too many of us are fighting more to to be right mm-hmm. instead of to do what right. is right. I think the reason I didn't join another tradition was because so much of Christianity are the legalistic perceptions of this is how you get right with God. Here's a list. Do this. And that's not the good news as the Lutheran church understands it. Like the good news is not a new list of like laws. It's not like Old Testament, New Testament, now just fall. Like that's not how we've understood it. But it's that thing Jesus says, which is like, you've heard it said, like, but I tell you. And it permits us to act in ways which I think are redemptive and recognize our own wrongs. And that's just reflecting of the greater understanding we have that we are fallible, we are sinful, we are broken. Um, and you don't have to follow this like construction of being a better and better Christian. What happens is you recognize, you confess how screwed up you are. And God has grace and mercy 
And once you really experience how good that grace is, you live in response to it. And that's where the growth comes from. Um, and it, it's the spirit really does call us towards a new way of being. And it, it's not that you're born again once. I, I reject that evangelical conception, but it's that we're born again over and over. And there is resurrection from our own spiritual deaths. And I just love how the Lutheran church has captured that because it, it, it takes away, it, it strips me of my pride. I, I cannot say I'm a better Christian than you. I'm closer to this than you. I can't. But I can say I'm screwed up. You're screwed up. Let's have community. So, yeah. so what's next for you? I know that you're interested, you're interested in Lutheran theology and the mm -hmm. social statements led you to the conference. But mm -hmm. it sounds to me like you have a, a bigger call to really explore mm -hmm. social statements. Praise be. I'm someone who is okay with saying, don't really know yet. I can tell you what the plan is, though, like loosely. Um, I have a gift for teaching. I've always known that. I mean, since I was like, and I, all the way from kindergarten, all up until high school, I would pretend teach a room of fake things. What that's looked like has changed over the years. I know that I understand philosophy and theology and religious studies very well. And so I see myself landing somewhere there with um, hopefully a PhD comparing all the three so I could move around in that tradition. Um, and something like that, I, I, I can see being what I do as my day job. But also at the same time, I mentioned earlier, I got involved at the Webster Medical Center. Um, and I expected it to be a high school job. I expected to go into like a medical interpreting thing because I know all these languages. And I was just going to, like, I thought it was just not going to be, I never had any interest in medicine. But I, I remember standing next to people in what were probably the hardest moments of their life, even if they weren't the one in the bed. And I, I mean, I'd studied ethics for years, and I just was like, "This is this is theology. This is ethics. Like I do the studying, I I teach this, but this is what like this is the action of." I, I would like to make a turn into hospice and um, end of life palliative care um, because the patients where that felt the realest to me have been my um, patients who were who were towards the end of their life and they needed that palliative care they needed uh, brought into the next world. And even if they weren't Christian, I had the ability to see people. Um, I had the people like, Nadia Boltzweber has said in one of her talks, I don't know where it was, but when she lost someone, someone told her, um, when God closes one door, he opens a window. And then her response was, well, where is the window so I can push you out of it? Like, people <laughs> yeah. don't want, that's not good news. Like, yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think some of my colleagues, like when there's someone crying, they don't know what to do. And I can just sit there next to them and that means something to them. Um, and I remember the first time someone asked me to pray for them because um, they saw I have the Agnes Day on my arm tattooed. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, sure. But yeah. they were like, 
oh, you're religious. I talked about being Lutheran in seminary. And they just asked for me to pray with them. And I I remember, like, they don't want to hear God's going to make this and it's going to be okay. And we're going to get, they, they want witness to what's happening with them. Um, and just sometimes having someone witness with you and helping you and being community with you, like that, that feels like theology. And it's so redemptive. And it, that, that, is, that is why I think over the years, even when I haven't found a tradition or I, I can't figure out why, I can't, I, I, I feel committed to this Christian faith because I know this story of the good news and the redemption and mercy and grace and suffering and there being a holy aspect of existing in the suffering, although the suffering itself is not. Um, that stuff speaks to me in a way that grounds me in a way that opens me up to something bigger than myself. And I love that I can do that for people. Like I, I love being there for people. You know, I, I've heard someone, a couple people say, you know, the story when Moses encounters God in the burning bush and God tells Moses to take off his shoes because you're standing on holy ground. I think in those moments when you're with someone who has lost a loved one or someone suffering a suffering, someone who's dying, that you're standing on holy ground. And the fact that you're willing to do that with a person is such a witness to them. There's just so much good news in this tradition that I've, I've found is helpful for me emotionally, interpersonally, and I've been able to take those lessons into my work where I work with people at the end of their life. And that feels more scary, I'm not going to lie, and I haven't worked out the quirks the of what a philosophy of death looks like from the Lutheran perspective. Um, but luckily, there's a lot of writing out there that I still haven't read. That's what I can engage with. You know, as part of your, your email signature, you quote First um, John. Mm. Um, do you want to share that with us and why that's important to you? I include in both English and French, um, 1 John 3, 17 through 18. Um, and in English, it reads, children, let's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. Um, and I, when I added that to my email signature, um, I, it was after, that's been in my email signature since high school. I, 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 if I'm correct, it was after one of, the um, mass shootings. And I remember it was at the heat of me coming in a lot of shifting places in my own life. Um, I was like in eighth grade, everyone posting thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And just like people being like, that's such a cop out. And it, it felt true to me. And that spoke to my context of like, here I am. I don't think I was even out of the closet yet. Like, I'm afraid. I'm terrified. But there's so much death and like horrible, horrible truths that are occurring there. Um, and once we politicized mass shootings, it became thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And, and I remember just reading the Bible because. I, I would just open the Bible and go, like, what do I need today? And I remember reading through First John, reading that, going, 
oh, like I, I don't want to be someone who takes verses out of context, but that sentence spoke to me, and um, I, I, I really think that that is so true. It's um, the the place of the church is to provide thoughts and like we are supposed to offer our prayers because there's so much power in prayer like it, it's like the, the the lutheran formula of salvation it's you can accept the mercy but then you grow in response to it you can do the prayer but now you grow in response to it i i think it's just something the church needs to hear is we have a responsibility with things like the climate justice and mass shootings um to pray and petition um and then we must act that is the position that is the, that is the place of the church and then most potently to speak truth into what's happening to say we we're screwing up the, the capacity for humans to screw up is so powerful um that once we see those things manifest it should shake us to our core and unless we act on them um what are we doing and unless we are willing to speak the truth which i think the church does when we say things like we've messed up we have to do better and there's hope once we speak that truth the good news of, of the capacity for grace and mercy and growing from us being these screwed up beings um once we can speak to that it's like that's what the culture needs is action and truth and I, I just love how it's captured there in First John. It's, it's like love, love is not sitting by and saying, um, I'm thinking of you. Like it's sitting next to the crying person who lost one. It's cleaning someone up who was who needs cleaned up like it's 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 doing the act that is actually um where god is manifest and, and we under we understand that in the scriptures so thoroughly like god describes himself as love um and, and is and love and who god is is not some inactive thing at all i mean to say god is inactive in the world is to be i would say brutally ignorant of how he is <laughs> um leaving people like me limping um from wrestling with him but god is someone who is so active in the world that he's willing to take on the flesh and to be incarnated into a species of screwed up beings and then what he does is he offers truth and i i i think i am called to that i've understood that to be powerful and when i think of, of the great of American Christianity, it's it's the it's the people who have been willing to do those two things, action and truth, um, and speak those out into the world in a culture that needs them, that have actually done the work the gospel commands us. You have, you have just witnessed to me in remarkable ways this afternoon. And you have spoken to and touched my spirit, and I just want to thank you for that um and thank you for taking on this spiritual journey that you've taken on and 
I know that people have been blessed already and they will certainly be blessed as they continue to be with you and, and have that relationship with you. So thank you for joining us for our, our podcast, Jay. It's been, a, it's been a real blessing to us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Yeah. Hi, my name is Pastor Julianne Smeck. I'm pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, and coordinator of the Authentic Diversity, Inclusion, and Justice team in the Southern Ohio Synod. The Authentic Diversity, Inclusion, and Justice team grows out of the strategy for authentic diversity that was adopted at the 2019 Churchwide Assembly in Milwaukee. Look for more information and program ideas from this team in the near future. On behalf of the Authentic Diversity, Inclusion, and Justice team, I want to thank Shay Rossing and Pastor Tim Menser for this podcast. As you listen to the podcast, you will catch a glimpse of how the call to strive for authentic diversity, inclusion, and justice extends beyond our synod to the larger church. Thank you for listening. This is Pastor Rebecca Great, the media ambassador and storyteller for the Southern Ohio Synod. And I want to thank you again for joining us for this podcast episode. There were several resources and groups mentioned in this episode that we want to help you get connected with. If you would like to learn more about what the ELCA is doing with ministry specifically for young adults, you can check this out online at www.elca.org slash young adults. They are also on Facebook, Instagram, X, and TikTok, all with the handle at ELCA Young Adults. If you want to learn more about the different types of advocacy that ELCA advocacy is involved with, you can learn more by visiting www.elca.org slash advocacy. And they are also on Facebook, Instagram, and X, all with the handle at ELCA Advocacy. Early in this episode, Shay referenced two different types of documents that were meaningful for him and how he has grown in his faith and his love for Lutheran theology. These documents are the ELCA's social messages and social statements. Ever since the ELCA was formed in 1987, we have actively engaged in discernment for how to integrate our theology with our life in the most faithful way. If you would like to access these documents, you can go to www.elca.org and type in social message or social statement into the search bar. If you have any questions about any of the content or want to continue this conversation, you can connect with Pastor Tim Mentzer by sending him an email. His email address is tmentzer at southernohiosynod.org. Until the next time we gather on this podcast, remember that we are stronger and better together, joining Jesus in the restoration of the world.